Hi, welcome to the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Westwood, the Codependency Coach. Each week, I answer your questions on codependency, people-pleasing, and all things relationship-related submitted to me via Instagram. This is the final episode of this season, so I won't be taking questions for the pod again until next year. But in the meantime, do make sure that you're following me on Instagram at Joe Westwood. And if you haven't already, catch up on all the previous episodes of the show. Okay, our first question today comes from B, who asked, can a codependent person be friends with their ex? We broke up like three weeks ago and we decided we still want to be friends, but also give us the time to process before hanging out again. I fear that I won't be able to get over them completely because of my codependency issues. Hey love, great question. I know lots of people will relate to this. So it's complicated. The answer is always going to depend on the individuals involved. My broad philosophy is that all things being equal, there's nothing inherently wrong with staying friends with an ex. I, for the most part, agree with the great Dan Savage, who says it's actually a good sign if someone has managed to maintain a friendship with an ex or exes, like the people that you've dated, married, or had in your life sexually or romantically don't all hate your guts slash have to be no contact with you. However, I also exclusively work with people who have dysfunctional relationships, often with abusive and manipulative people, or at the very least, people who have some healing and emotional maturing to do. Honestly, the ideal of being able to stay friends with an ex doesn't make much sense for most of the people that I work with, either because of their dysfunction or the hurt that was caused in the relationship or because the other person has done no growth or evolution work, or a combination of all of the above. The question I always want to ask when it comes to staying friends with an ex is, why? And it's not a loaded question, it's genuine. Aside from the fact that the breakup is fresh right now, and so telling yourselves that you'll still be friends is one way to ease yourselves through the breakup a little more gently, In six or 12 months time, when perhaps one or both of you have moved on, maybe even found new partners, will this connection still be something that you desire in your life? Is this person truly a friend you want and need in your life? And that answer may change as you move through the breakup, or you may not even know the answer right now, and both of those options are okay. I'm going to give you an example from my own life to help illustrate this. Bearing in mind that I have five years codependent recovery and I literally talk about this stuff every day for a living. I can highly recommend that as a way to keep your recovery top of mind, by the way. Lol. Our connection and the logistics of our relationship were intense and complex. And one of the strongest foundations of that relationship was our friendship. We were genuine pals. We enjoyed each other's company. We had some common interests that we enjoyed together. We had good, interesting conversations. We had fun and the end was messy. There was emotional manipulation, and it felt like it sullied any salvageable part of what we'd had. Then there were apologies and conversations, and doors were opened again to the possibility of a friendship, even a rekindling of the relationship. We went back and forth. In the end, we took the space that we really needed. In that space, I met an amazing human who I'm now in a very happy relationship with. We also have loads in common, enjoy each other's company immensely and have a lot of fun together. And then my ex got back in touch to say that he might be able to manage a friendship now if I wanted it. And you know what? I didn't. It just didn't make sense to me. 
nor was it something that I wanted or needed anymore. To maintain a connection with someone that had disrespected and lied to me, to have a whole other friendship to try to maintain when, quite frankly, I'm struggling to keep up with the ones I have already, the bonds that didn't betray my trust. And to have to ask that of my new partner. Oh, by the way, you know my ex that I told you about? Yeah, the one who cheated on me, whose actions are still affecting me and rippling into our fledgling relationship. Well, we're friends now. I hope that's okay with you. Of course, someone trying to control who you can and can't be friends with is a red flag, which I know my new love wouldn't do. But honestly, me even approaching them with that is a red flag from me too. Not least because I've been unfaithful in past relationships. And I know that there is a codependent part of me that has kept backburner people hanging around before as safety nets or alternative sources of validation. So I know that for me, it's just a general rule not to stay in touch with exes, apart from the two nice ones from literally 15 and 20 years ago. We follow each other on social media and very occasionally like each other's posts or watch each other's stories. That's the full extent of my contact with exes. So personally, when I ask myself, why would I stay friends with this ex who, had we never been an item, if we were, say, just work colleagues, we probably would have been best buddies as we genuinely get along well. Why would I want to maintain a friendship with them now? The answers that come up for me are, it would be for them, as I felt like in the end, it was them that wanted a friendship and not me. And that it's potentially a hangover from my more codependent, less recovered days to want to have the safety net of someone I already have a certain level of connection with hanging around. That now feels like a risk for me, a risk to my recovery and to any future relationships. And it's not a risk that I want to take for any potential friendship. I know your situation is likely different in the details, dear listener, and I'm only sharing my experience to give you some situation-specific insight and context for how things can change over the evolution of a breakup and the subsequent moving on period. In making this decision, I think it's also worth considering the reason for the breakup. The truth is, it's much easier to stay friends if there hasn't been abuse, manipulation, or betrayal. Controversial opinion over here, but I don't think you need to forgive people who have abused or betrayed you. I don't think it's necessary to move on, and I don't ask or expect it of my clients. I know it's helpful for some people, and if it is, that's cool. My whole vibe is whatever works. But if a future friendship hinges on trust being rebuilt or heartfelt apologies and amends being made, the price of admission just got a little bit steeper. And all that said, we ultimately come back to why. What do you want from this potential future friendship? Are you doing a good enough job of being a friend to the ones you already have? Could you keep it strictly platonic? Is there enough love, goodwill and forgiveness between you to be able to start fresh as friends? Could you trust yourself that you have enough recovery and or the relationship is truly over so it's not something that will pull you back into your dysfunction? either by pining or not moving on or beating yourself up for not making the relationship work or it being a potential temptation to you in the future? And is it, are they, your ex, something you could and would comfortably introduce to your future partner? Only you can answer these questions, my love, and if answering those makes it all sound like a lot of work and like it will be a lot more complicated to do this whole just friends now thing than we ever make it out to be, then yeah, that's because it kind of is. 
especially for us codependent babes. I think you're definitely doing the right thing, taking some space for yourselves right now. And in this time, you have the opportunity to ask and answer those questions for yourself and make your next moves accordingly. And next up, we have this doozy from Gia. I'm curious whether recovering has anything to do with libido. I was in an extremely toxic relationship and I finally cut all ties, this time for good. Since then, I've lost my libido completely. I used to be extremely horny and masturbate daily. I now feel repulsed by men in particular. I'm bisexual. Does this have anything to do with my toxic past relationship kind of traumatizing me? Or am I just healing and not taking shit from men? It worries me a bit because I do enjoy having sex. I've always been the friend who people would come to for advice about sex and kinks. Who am I now? Okay, okay, okay. You're really bringing it with the questions for this final episode. I can't wait to get stuck into this one. Hit me up with some abstract codependency nuance, babies. It's exactly where I like hanging out. Okay, so it sounds like you're a sexual person with generally quite a high sex drive who maybe experiences spontaneous as opposed to responsive desire. Hard relate. So that's kind of your baseline, or at least it has been. So now let's get into the nitty gritty of how your codependency, recovery work, and this toxic relationship has potentially affected that. There are lots of intertwining possibilities, and I'm going to try and cover them all. So pay attention and see which ones feel like a fit, and you'll hopefully be able to connect the dots for yourself about why your libido seems to have leapt lemming-like off a cliff. There is often a strong link between sex and codependency. Sex can be a way for us to express our dysfunction or a secondary self-medicating addiction. Here are some of the ways that codependent people use sex in unhealthy ways. As a way to manipulate a relationship into existence, to enmesh with a partner more quickly and effectively, as a way to elicit or feel affection and connection where it's lacking emotionally, verbally, or in non-sexual touch, to feel validated, valued, loved, worthy, wanted, or attractive. These are all core needs of a codependent person. So if we can get these dysfunctional desires met through sex, it would make sense then that sex becomes even more appealing to us. Not only are we getting a physical desire met, but it's also hitting all these trauma hotspots for us. You also mentioned kink in your question. It may well be that you have a natural pull towards kink, or your taste for kink may have developed as a way to please or impress previous partners. A common conundrum that my clients experience when in recovery is wondering what is really theirs and what they have adopted as a way to connect with or get closer to a partner. It definitely happens that we will sometimes start listening to a certain type of music or pick up a sport or a hobby as a way to enmesh with, spend more time with, or ingratiate ourselves towards a partner. That can also extend into our sex lives. We might find ourselves being more sexually adventurous than usual or spending time researching different ways to engage in sex with our partner that we wouldn't otherwise be doing if it weren't for the relationship. A certain amount of this is normal, of course, but when you're codependent, it can literally start to take over parts of your life. You can find yourself becoming unproductive because you're spending time researching kink parties or you're spending way too much on latex, lace, lube and toys. It's not just something that you chat about when your dates start to heat up. It can become all consuming. 
through that process, you may find things you genuinely enjoy and that you're going to keep regardless of whether the relationship continues or not. And you may also find that your own personal Overton window around sex has shifted because what seemed wild and kinky and out of the ordinary to you before has now become more normalized. It may not have initially been something that you craved or fantasized about, but now having become acclimatized to a broader scope of how your sexuality can be expressed, it's become something that you've learned to enjoy. Or, as I said, you might have always been kinky, but you know, I'm just throwing out lines here and maybe I'll catch something. Similarly, it tends to happen that the more frequently we masturbate, the more frequently we feel we need to. We become acclimatized to having that physical sensation daily, so it becomes something we crave. If we go through a period of sadness, upset, stress, grief, or trauma, where our mind is overtaken by other thoughts for a while, we break the habit. Just in the same way as if we're trying to give up the Diet Cokes. Go just a week or two without your daily dose, and you'll soon find that you don't have that same level of craving. And finally, this may or may not be a part of what's going on for you, dear listener, but regardless, it's worth mentioning because it will certainly ring true for some people. Sexual assault and violence is a form of big T trauma that can trigger or worsen codependency. As we're finally discussing and understanding as a society, sexual assault, harassment and violation is an almost ubiquitous experience amongst women, people assigned female at birth and female socialized MBs. Codependency is also, in my professional experience, wildly common amongst women. I'm not a researcher and I don't have data to reference here, nor am I claiming to make a direct correlation between the two, except to say that codependency is a trauma response and sexual assault, violence and harassment are all forms of trauma. Sometimes survivors of sexual abuse become hypersexual as a coping mechanism to deal with their trauma. Hypersexuality can be a way of reclaiming one's sexuality after a traumatic incident or period of abuse. It can also be the case that if, particularly as young people, we are exposed to sexual trauma, be it big T or little t trauma, including being exposed to inappropriate sexual imagery, that we've been conditioned to associate sex and sexuality with validation, acceptance and whatever unhealthy version of love we've been taught. So this could also potentially play a role in the high sexual desire of a codependent person if they have experienced any form of sexual trauma. So Gia, I hope this helps you to connect the dots around your sex drive, desires and codependency. And hopefully it makes sense then that when you get into recovery at some point, whether you work on it directly or not, it's going to affect how you feel about sex. And the thing about being repulsed by men, yeah, having a toxic, abusive relationship with one will do that for you. But don't forget to put it in the context of the world we're living in. We've seen more blatant misogyny and narcissism spewing from the mouths, hands and crotches of men on world stages. We've had more truth around the sexual exploitation and abuse of women revealed just in the last few years than ever before. There's a collective heaviness that women and people assigned female at birth feel right now. When we ask why we are wet, pardon the double entendre, it would be remiss of us to not acknowledge the water that we're swimming in. Maybe in time your desire for guys will come back when you've taken a break from them and done some healing work. I know that it certainly helps when you shift what you're looking for and therefore what you attract and what you'll allow and accept 
because healthy, emotionally mature people, yes, including men, even the cis het white ones, really are something special. So take whatever you need from what I've offered up today and bring it into your recovery work, even if it's just a new perspective or framework to understand what sex means to you. And I think that what you'll find is that you will come to redefine how you feel about sex and how you express your sexuality. And with that, your libido will return, maybe as vigorously before, but possibly just rearranged. And now this from Winnie, who said, I want to be single for a year, but I keep flirting with people who I know like me for excitement or... Ah, okay. So you're a smoker who's given up smoking all except for the occasional social cigarette and maybe a quick lunchtime vape with your workmates. <laughs> I'm sorry, that sounds very bitchy and judgmental of me. But if we keep going with the smoking analogy, I guess it all depends on how important it is for you to have fully and completely 100% given up. For some people, quitting smoking every day and just having the occasional cigarette might feel like a success. Like, that's manageable, it's not going to be a full-blown addiction again, and it makes life easier and that little bit more fun. For other people, they might have a hard line, knowing that one cigarette will lead to a pack, will lead to a daily habit again. So I guess the question for you would be, do you feel like it's safe, productive, healthy, and manageable to keep flirting with people in this way throughout your year off of dating? Only you can answer that for yourself. Personally, the only thing that doesn't feel great to me here is that you're flirting with people that you know like you, which feels not only unfair to them, considering that you want to stay unattached, but also potentially threatening to your mission of singledom, as we codependent babes tend to like people who like us. So if you start off down a path of flirting with and leading on someone who likes you, you might find yourself all of a sudden wildly attracted to them and struggling to stick to your personal commitment. I have to say, and again, with love and humor and no judgment, because you know me, being there, done that, got the codependent t-shirt, but it is a totally codependent move to be all like, oh yeah, I'm single, I'm going to be single for a year, and then be getting all flirty-girty at every opportunity, especially when you know it's flirting that will be well-received because the other person or people are into you. It's just another way that the codependent part of you will use to elicit validation and pull you out of focusing on yourself and into codependent fantasy. And you mentioned excitement. Well, codependency loves chaos and will scream because it wants to go faster on the emotional roller coaster. And what better way to stir up a little trouble than to commit to a year of being single and then start churning up feelings all over the place? Like, this is what your codependency looks like right now. She's standing there batting her eyelids going, oh me, little old me, but I'm single, with a coy look on her face and her cleavage spilling out of her Jessica Rabbit dress. <laughs> okay, and now I promise I'm going to stop dragging you. I also want to offer you a more constructive reframe on flirting because though you might be codependent, you are also a human being and a year of being single should not have to be dull or dry or devoid of connection. Regina Thomasauer, aka Mama Gina, teaches women about pleasure and truly enjoying themselves and she describes flirting as enjoying yourself in the presence of others, which I love. I've linked to an article in the show notes where one of her students talks about how she reframed flirting so that it became a way of communicating that spread joy rather than just being used to evoke some form of spark or sexual connection. 
So to sum up, I'd say check in with your intentions around flirting with these folks and feel out whether it's actually good for your more meaningful goal of taking a year out of the dating pool, deepening your connection with yourself and strengthening your recovery. Our next question is from someone who wanted to stay anonymous. They said, I'm a codependent person who just ended a three and a half year relationship and now I have immediate regret. I cannot stop thinking how badly I want to take his pain away, make it better and return to our life together. How do I know if I made a mistake? Do I ask for him back or do I give it time? For more context, we live together. I tried to break up with him back in July originally. He convinced me he'd change and go to therapy. He didn't quite do that. I ended up cheating and lying to prompt the most recent breakup conversation. I am beating myself up for that and for not accepting his progress. It was slow progress, but he was trying, especially towards the end. I feel like I threw my life away as much as some people are trying to convince me I haven't. Okay, love. First up, I want to know if you're in recovery because I cannot stop thinking how badly I want to take his pain away is ringing massive alarm bells for me. This is not a reason to be in a relationship with someone or to try to get back together with them. It's deeply codependent and makes me feel like you've got lots of your own work to do too. And beyond this part, the whole thing is just so messy. The lying and cheating instead of just being able to be direct and break up. The convincing you that he'd changed, but he didn't quite do that. Like, I don't even know what that means, but it sounds like promises of action were made and action was not taken. And then wondering if you should compromise your life to wait for the very slow and I'm going to guess maybe also inconsistent or performative progress of someone that you have such a dysfunctional bond with that you felt you had to cheat on them to prompt the breakup. Does hearing that read back to you in my voice help you see the insanity of this situation? I sure hope so. Here's the thing. You've kind of given me details without really giving me details, but based on the information you've shared, I think it's clear that whether or not there is a future for the two of you, whether or not he is going to make the necessary changes for the relationship to ever work out, you definitely need space and time apart, like really apart, like no texting, no late night phone calls, no begging back or reminiscing or romanticizing what was or what could have been like block, delete, be properly broken up and get space and do your damn work, babe. Get your own therapy or coaching, start or ramp up your focus on your recovery work and your own life. This relationship sounds at best emotionally immature and unfulfilling and at worst toxic as hell. I promise you, whatever happens, you have not thrown your life away. Also a very worrying statement and sentiment to think that the end of any relationship, even an amazing, healthy, loving one, would somehow mean your life going down the toilet as if there could be no other possible relationships, opportunities or sources of happiness out there for you ever again. But you won't really understand or be able to integrate any of this, any of what I've just said until you fully step away from the relationship and the idea of the relationship and focusing on getting it back being the only solution to the way you feel right now. That's your codependency rearing up in fear and grasping for the nearest thing it can hold on to to try and anchor you again. Think of it like being an addict going into withdrawal. You'll do anything for that next hit to soothe your pain. 
But what you really need to get clarity and feel healthy is to fully detox from it. And finally, we have this from Lulu. Can you press a button in my brain and make me leave him? (laughs) Hi, love. Thanks for your question. Honestly, I wish I could because I bring big sister cancerian. I will fight anyone who hurts you energy to everything. But also then my coach brain kicks in. And I know that even if I could install and push that button, that it would be the equivalent of cutting a butterfly out of its chrysalis without allowing it the struggle it needs to strengthen its wings enough to fly when it emerges. Even if I could wave a magic wand and make you leave him, unless you worked on the reason you're stuck in a relationship that you know isn't good for you, you'd just go and get yourself right into another one. However, though I don't claim to offer instant miracle cures or sell any kind of snake oil, helping you get to the bottom of why you're in the relationship and why you can't seem to leave is kind of sort of exactly what I do all day every day. I work with people in private coaching as well as in my online community that I tell you all about at the end of every podcast. The cool thing about working on your recovery with me in the very proactive, direct and action oriented way that we do it is that it doesn't have to take all that long. Most of my clients, the ones who really stick with the work, focus on themselves and do their homework, see a significant difference within six months. Leveraging yourself out of your dysfunctional default does not have to take years and years. So Lulu and all my lovely listeners, for one final time this year and this season, I'm inviting you into Wildly Worthy. It's my online recovery community. It's kind of like a Facebook group, but loads better and not on Facebook. It's £44 a month. That's about 62 US dollars. Included in the subscription is my full self-study, self-paced recovery course and a weekly 90-minute coaching call with me, plus the full archive of every call we've done since we started in the summer and a community of babes who are busy sharing wins, asking for support, cheering each other on, and checking in on each other frequently. And that includes me too. Basically, if you want to get serious about your codependency recovery, Wildly Worthy is a really, really great way to do it. And it's a bargain compared to private therapy or coaching. So babes, I know so many of you love the pod and find it super helpful because you reach out and tell me every week in my DMs. So if it feels like the right timing for you and it works for you financially, why not give yourself a powerful and transformative New Year's gift? The gift of recovery and the gift of community. Wildly Worthy is open to all women and female socialized non-binary people. I hope to meet some more of you in there soon. Okay, my loves, that, as they say, is a wrap for season one of the Anti-People Pleasing podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed the first season. I'll be back next year answering more of your questions and doing more weird, embarrassing bloopers. If you would like to give me a super duper and very free little Christmas present, please drop me a lovely rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to support the podcast and help more people to find it. And make sure to follow and subscribe to the pod on your preferred platform too, so you don't miss the next season sending you all a massive virtual squeeze and sincere gratitude for all your questions and for listening until next year my loves
make sex then that sex becomes even more appealing to us <laughs> just replace every s word with sex let's talk about sex baby let's talk about you and me let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be let's talk about sex <laughs> yes babies christmas karaoke time canal please drop me a lovely rating and review on apple podcast it's the uh, that is your final uh podcast burp of the year <laughs> oh it's a good one as if i burped right in the part where i'm begging for ratings and reviews oh fuck if you don't leave me a rating and review next season is just gonna be burps i'm not even gonna answer any questions so and that is a promise not a threat if you would like <laughs> fucking hell